This is before the Passover festival. Jesus has basically just washed his disciples' feet. And then the one who is, is going to betray Jesus, uh, they're, they're confronted with Judas. Where you are going, you cannot come, Jesus says to his disciples. And Peter asks, Lord, where are you going? And they're like, where are you going to go? I mean, what are you about to go do? They were, kind of under, they, didn't, they were kind of confused about what Jesus had said. Why can't I follow you now? I will lay my, down my life for you, Peter says to Jesus. Jesus is next in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will, he says to his father when he's praying in the garden. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. My father, this cannot pass unless I drink it. Your will be done, he says in anguish in the, in the garden. Jesus is then betrayed by Judas and arrested. Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? He says to his disciple. They seize him, they lead him away, and they, bring, they brought him into the high priest's house. Then his friends all deserted him and ran away. He was left alone. Peter followed him at a distance, and many gave false testimonies against Jesus. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, Prophesy, son of man. Peter sat next to a fire in the high priest's courtyard. One of the high priest's maidservants recognized, Peter, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied him. I don't know what you're talking about. This man is one of them, she announced to the crowd. The crowd said to him, you certainly are one of them since you're also a Galilean. I don't know this man you're talking about. Cursing and swearing, the text says. He was so angry and annoyed by their, their questions and their statements that he followed Jesus and he continued to deny with cursing and swearing. Jesus was then taken to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. Pilate questioned him, yet could not find anything unlawful about him. Yet the crowd of Jews, his own, shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Why? What has he done wrong? But they continued to shout, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! Jesus was led by Roman soldiers to be flogged and then crucified. They dressed him in a purple robe, they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They hit him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. They mocked him. They stripped him of the purple robe. Once they arrived at Golgotha, the place of the skull, he was stripped of his clothes. They, they drilled nails into his hands and his feet into a, two wooden beams forming a cross. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, saying, Ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. Others mocked him, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe in mockery. Jesus was utterly alone. He was abandoned as he endured the pain and the sufferings of the cross. Positioned next to thieves, to criminals, left alone to die. The physical pain was, was, was unbelievable. It was, it was excruciating. But to stop there would be only understanding a fraction of the suffering of the cross. If you just focus on the physical pain of Christ, you are partially understanding his suffering. One of the issues with the passion of the Christ is, is that all he could do is project the 
physical pain of Christ and was unable to get into the mental or spiritual torment that Christ endured. So we must go to Matthew 27, 45 through 46 to understand the deep pain of the cross experienced by Jesus Christ. So I talked about all of that. I I presented, I kind of walked us slowly through the passion leading up to the cross. And Jesus is on the cross in Matthew 27. He's on the cross He's already been beaten. He's been, the nails have been put into his hands and to his feet. He's been experienced mockery and he's experienced being spit upon and hit, and hit by, 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 uh, by, by a stick. He has uh, a crown of thorns been placed on his head. So then we get to verse, 40, uh, verse 45 of Matthew 27. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? Christ was literally abandoned by his disciples in the garden. They all ran away. There's that, that, that little passage in Mark that says that some young man had run away, like he had his clothes, like he, would, he basically ran away naked, abandoning and shame that he had followed Jesus. He was betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples. Peter, one of his closest disciples, denies him, even knowing him before the people of Jerusalem three times. He is alone. His fellow Jews, his own people, cry out for his sentence of death. It wasn't Pontius Pilate. It wasn't the Romans that called for his crucifixion. It was the Jews himself. His own people wanted him dead. He's alone. Matthew wrote in verse 45 that from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness covered the land. Darkness. During the day, darkness covered the land. The scene is a night of horror, of terror. Amos 8, 9 says, In the day that this is the decoration of the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon. This is an Amos. I will make the sun go down at noon. I will darken the land in the daytime. The context of the prophet Amos' words is a sentence of judgment by God. And the crucifixion scene is a judgment. The judgment scene. Exodus 20, 21 through 22, Then the Lord said to Moses, I stretch out, stretch out your hand towards the heavens. There may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. Verse 22, So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all of the land of Egypt for three days. We see darkness as one of the plagues of Egypt. We see darkness at Christ's crucifixion. This is, a, this is unusual for it to be dark at just an early time of the day. The scene at the cross is, one of the, is, is described like the, one of the plagues in the days of Exodus. Darkness covered the land while Jesus hung alone on the cross. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? I am your son. I am your beloved son. You've said this. Remember when I was baptized? You said I was your beloved son. Why have you forsaken me of all people? Why have you abandoned me? You've left me utterly alone. The spiritual uh, uh, torment that Jesus is experiencing is difficult to comprehend, right? It's difficult to understand the torment that he's experiencing spiritually. 
Jesus Christ is experiencing spiritual separation, suffering at the hands of his actual father. No voice from heaven saying, my beloved son, at this particular moment. No angels to minister to him. His father is completely silent as his son hangs alone and dishonored, shamed, mocked. Jesus was righteous and sinless and God's beloved son, and God damned him to the hell of the cross. He's alone, separated from his father. The cross is an illustration of hell, suffering, separation, darkness. Abandonment is a difficult thing to understand. Uh, there's, there's an article I read that um, PODs during the Vietnam War, um, one of the things that was, was they, they, they truly suffered was not just necessarily the physical pain of, of being a prisoner of war, but the, the isolation. Uh, medical doctors point to John McCain, Senator McCain's experience as a POW during the Vietnam War. And it describes a study of nearly 150 U.S. naval aviators who returned from imprisonment in Vietnam. They reported that social isolation was agonizing as any abuse they had suffered. But what happened to them was physical. Going back to the 19th century, they have shown that slowly of brain waves in prisoners after a week or more of solitary confinement. Some prisoners who only social contact with food trays shoved through a slot became uh, developed a, uh, autistic features. Still others had panic attacks or became extraordinarily aggressive, extraordinarily aggressive. Those symptoms suggested neurological damage. Neuroimaging study, uh, studios have confirmed that isolation creates the same level of activity in the brain as does physical distress. The neural signs of social pain look a lot like the signals created by physical, by physical pain. Even months after they were released, MRIs of prisoners of war in the former Yugoslavia showed that gravest neurological damage in those prisoners who had been locked in solitary confinement. Without sustained social interaction, the human brain may become an, as impaired as one that has incurred a traumatic head injury. Jeez, I mean, th so what, what happens when people are isolated, when they're abandoned, when they are, are alone, it causes the same brain uh, damage as if someone had fallen on their head. Hebrews 2.18 says, For since he himself has suffered, Jesus himself has suffered. Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize without weakness. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he became sin who knew no sin. Christ endured the horrors of suffering and abandonment and judgment. He understands where you hurt. He understands your sadness. He understands how you feel isolation and abandonment. He also felt it. He also cried out for help. Christ sympathizes with your weaknesses. He sympathizes with your, with your fears. He sympathizes with your hurt. The second point, or act number two, is God's judgment of human sin. God's judgment of human sin. Hell is not a popular belief in America today. If you, like, you know, met someone for the first time and said, yeah, 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 I believe in hell, I'm pretty sure that person is not going to be friends with you. I don't know, it's like, that's something that people are going to just be warm to you if you just declare that you believe in hell. 
However, more Americans believe in hell today than, they, than people who don't believe in hell. In 2014, 58% of Americans believed in the existence of hell. In 2007, 59% of Americans believed in the existence of hell. So there's only been a drop of 1% in the last, well, since 2007 to 2014. We don't have a study, but I, I bet it's not too different from this study. I bet if, if, there's probably more people that still believe in hell than disbelieve in hell. Hell is described in a few different places in the Bible. Jeremiah 7, 29 through 24 uh, starting in verse 30, For the sons of Judah have, have done evil in my sight, declares the Lord. They have, sent, they have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name he defi- to defile it. Verse 31, And they have built the high place of Tobith, which is the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no, no more be called Tobith or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Tobith because there is no room elsewhere. And the dead bodies of the people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And none will frighten them away. And I will silence uh, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem the voice of, of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride. For the land shall become a waste. Hell is described as this valley, the valley of slaughter. This place where God judges the people for their wickedness. We see also in Jeremiah 16, 6-9, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Tobith, or the valley of the son of Hemon, but the valley of slaughter. And in this place I will make void the plans of Judah and Jerusalem, and will cause the people to fall by the sword before their enemies, and by the hands of those who seek their life. I will give their dead bodies for food to the birds of the air, and the beasts of the earth, and I will make this city a horror, a thing to be hissed at. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all of its wounds. And I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and their daughters, and everyone shall eat the flesh of his neighbors and the siege and the stress which which the enemies and those who seek their life affect them. The valley of Hamon is described as the valley of slaughter. It's where God punishes the wicked. The place where the wicked are punished. Destruction, darkness, weeping, and death happens in this valley. It's the place of judgment. The judgment of God is described in Isaiah 66, verse 24. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and there shall be an adherence of all to all flesh. Hell is a place of judgment by God. It's where sinners are judged by God. God is a holy and eternal God. He deserves all praise and glory. His value and worth is beyond comparison in this universe, and sin against him deserves eternal judgment. To those who sin against him, he proclaims, depart from me, I never knew you. You see in Matthew, Matthew 25, Matthew 7, 22, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do not prosify in your, prosify, prosify, um, prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then, they, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is the consequence of the sin of man. Judgment by God. Eternal judgment by God. That's a, that's a, a conversation that not a lot of people enjoy talking about. The wrath of God. God is full of love. He's not full of wrath. 
We talk about in the world today, a lot of outrage, right? Outrage from school shootings. There's a lot of outrage, a lot of wrath. People are angry. People are wrathful. We don't think it's uncommon or unnatural for people to be upset about something or some people to to have an outcry about something. God has a similar outcry to the sins of man. There's a diminished view of sin, which is based on a diminished view of God. Eternal punishment contradicts goodness, right? Why would a good God judge people to hell? Why would a good and loving God send anyone to hell? Why would God send Gandhi to hell? Why would God send my grandma to hell? Why would a good God do that? Why would a loving God do such a thing? These arguments against hell are rooted in diminished view of God. Sin is diminished as less than serious against a weak and benevolent God. What's the big deal if I make a mistake? What's the big deal if I lie? What's the big deal if I am angry with someone or I dishonor my father and mother? What's the big deal? God is full of love. God is good. Hell is seen as an extreme overreaction to the failures and mistakes of human beings. Why would God send someone like me to hell? I've done nothing wrong to the point that should deserve hell. Romans 3, verse 10, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their path are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve hell. All of us deserve eternal judgment. The last point is Christ endured our hell. Go back to the story. Christ is cut off from his father. He endures the sinners. Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me, son. Depart from me. He bore our sins on the cross. Isaiah 59, 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And your sins have hidden the face from you so that he does not hear. Our iniquities have made a separation between us and God. Does it make sense like hell? Hell is a separation from God. But Christ took on those iniquities. He took on those sins, and he was separated from the Father. He was separated from God. God hid his face from Christ, and God did not listen to Christ's cry. He was damned to the depth of hell so that we may have redemption and salvation and eternal life. Christ endured hell on the cross. Hell. He became the curse for us, Galatians 3.13. If you want to understand hell and God's judgment on sin, look to the cross. People don't really understand hell, how it all works. Look to the crucifixion of Christ, and that is a demonstration and an illustration of, the, of hell. Separation, abandonment, darkness, death, suffering, pain. At the cross, we are exposed to the horror of sin and God's reaction to sin, and hell is real, God's judgment is real, and Christ endured it. Christ endured hell. The cross 
is a demonstration of Christ enduring hell, that he endured the suffering, that, not just the physical suffering, but the spiritual suffering, the spiritual torment he endured on the cross. He was forsaken by God so that you can be known by God. He was departed. He was uh, ignored. He was abandoned so that you would be known, so that God would hear you. The better question we should ask when thinking about hell is why would God sentence Christ Jesus of all people to hell for you? That is the more outrageous question is why would God send his own son who did nothing wrong and sentence him to hell for you? But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive. He loves you so much that he was willing to damn his own son to hell so that you would be found and known by him. The cross describes hell. However, in the night of terror, God was rescuing you from slavery. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what the cross means. That's what crucifixion of Christ means. That's what Good Friday means. One of my favorite stories is the line of the witch in the wardrobe, and obviously we know about Aslan. And... But what was uh, Edmund's sin? What was Edmund's crime? He was a traitor. He was a transgressor. He broke the law. What did the witch say to Aslan? You have a traitor here, Aslan. Aslan being the, the lion. Of course everyone presents... Uh, President knew that she met Edmund, but Edmund had gotten, got past thinking about himself after all he's been through and after the talk he'd had that morning with Aslan. He just went on looking at Aslan, and it didn't seem to matter what the witch said. Well, said Aslan, his offense was not against you. Have you forgotten the deep magic? Asked the witch. Let us say I, I have forgotten it, answered Aslan gravely. Tell us of this deep magic. Tell you, said the witch, her voice growing suddenly shivery, Tell you what is written on that very tablet of stone which stands beside us? Tell you what is written in letters deep as spheres is long on the firestones on the secret hill? Tell you what is engraved on the scepter of the emperor beyond the sea? You at least know the magic which the emperor put into Narnia at the very beginning. You know that every traitor belongs to me as my lawful prey and that for every treachery I have a right to kill. Oh, said the beaver. So that's how you came to imagine yourself a queen, because you were the emperor's hangman, I see. Aslan said, peace, beaver. And so continued the witch, that human creature is mine. His life is forfeited to me, and his blood is my property. Come and take then, said the bull, the man's head in a great bellowing voice. Fool, said the witch with a savage smile that was almost a snarl. Do you, re do you really think your master can rob me of my right by mere force? He knows the deep magic better than, what, than that. He knows that unless I have blood, as the law says, on all Narnia will be overturned and perished in fire and water. It is very true, said Adeline. Aslan. I do not deny it. Oh, Aslan, whispered Susan in, in Lion's ear, can't we, I mean, you won't, will you? Can't we do something about the deep magic? Isn't there something you can work against it? Work against the emperor's magic, said Aslan, turning to her, with something like a frown on her face, on his face, and nobody ever made that suggestion to him again. 
Edmund was on the other side of Aslan looking at the, at the time at, at Aslan's face and he felt a choking feeling and wondered if he ought to say something. But a moment later, he felt that he was not expected to do anything except to wait and do what he was told. Fall back, all of you, said Aslan. I will talk to the witch alone. They all obeyed. It was a terrible time, this waiting and wondering while the lion and the witch talked earnestly together in a low, in a low voice. And Lucy said, Oh, Edmund, and they began to cry, and Peter stood with. His back to the others looking at the, the distant sea, the beavers stood holding each other, other's paws with their, hands bat, with their heads bowed. The centaurs stomped un, uneasily with their hooves, and everyone became perfectly still in the end, so that you notice even small sounds like a bumblebee flying past, or the birds in the forest down below them, or the wind rustling the leaves, and still the talk between Aslan and the white witch went on. And at last, they heard Aslan's voice. You can all come back. I have settled the matter. I have settled the matter. Later on, very later in that early part of the morning, very quietly, the two girls, Susan and, um, and uh, oh, I forgot the other girl's name, groped, uh, Lucy, groped their way along among the other sleepers and crept out of their tents. The moonlight was bright and everything was quiet, still except the noise of the river chatting over the stones. Then Susan suddenly caught Lucy's arm and said, Look, on the far side of the campground, just where the trees began, they saw the lion slowly walking away from them into the woods. Without a word, they both followed him. He led them up the steep slope out of the river valley and then slightly to the right, and apparently about the very same route which they had used that afternoon in coming from the hill of the stone tablet. On and on he led them into the dark shadows and into the pale moonlight, getting their feet wet with the heavy dew. He looked somehow different from the Aslan they knew. His tall and his, his tail and his head hung low and he walked slowly as if were very, very tired. Then when they were crossing a wide open place where there were no shadows for them to hide, he stopped and looked around. It was no good trying to run away, so they came towards him. When they were closer, he said, Oh, children, oh, children, why are you following me? We couldn't sleep, said Lucy. They felt sure that they needed, they, 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 she needed to say no more and that Aslan knew all that had been thinking. Please, may we come with you wherever you're going. Well, said Aslan, seeming to be thinking. Then he said, I should be glad of company tonight. Yes, you may come if you will promise to stop when I tell you. And after that, leave me to go alone. He began to walk. And he says, O children, O children, here you must stop. And whatever happens, do not let yourself be seen. He said, farewell. A great crowd of people were standing all around the stone tablet and through a table, and though the moon was shining, many of them carried torches which burned with evil look, red flames and black smoke. But such people, orgs with monstrous teeth and wolves and bullheaded men, spirits of evil trees and poisonous plants and other creatures whom I won't describe because if I did, the grown-ups would probably not let you read the book. Cruels and hags and incubuses and wraths and wreaths and horrors and sprites. In fact, there were all those who were on the, on the witch's side and whom the Walt had summoned at her command. And right in the middle, standing by the table, was the witch herself. The fool, she cried, the fool has come, bind him fast. The 
evil dwarfs and apes rushed to help them. And between them, they rolled the huge lion over on the back and tied all his four paws together, shouting and cheering as if they had done something brave, as though had the lion chosen one of those paws could have been the death of them all. But he made no noise. Even when the enemies straining and tugging pulled their cords so tight that they could cut into his flesh, then they began to drag him towards the stone table. Stop, said the witch. Let him be first shaved. They laughed. Snip, snip, went the shears. Masses of curling gold began to fall to the ground. Then the orcs stood back, and the children watching from their hiding place could see the face of Aslan looking all small and different without its mane. The enemies also saw the difference. Wow, he's only a great cat after all, cried one. Is that what we are afraid of, said another. They surged around Aslan, jeering at him, saying things like, Poor pussy, how many mice have you caught today, cats? Would you like a saucer of milk? Muzzle him, the wetch said, hitting him and spitting at him and jarring at him. And at last, the rabble had enough of this. They began to drag the, the bone and muzzle lion to the stone table. And soon pulling and some pushing, he was so huge that even when they got him there, it looked like it took all their efforts to host him on the surface of it. Then there was more trying and tightening of the cords. The cowards, the cowards, Susan said. And they killed him. They endured this, this hellish event. And I love that, that sentence. He, the matter was settled, right? The matter had been settled. Christ Jesus has settled the matter. We are traitors. We are transgressors. We deserve the same death, but yet Christ settled the matter. Justice has been satisfied. Grace has rained down on the traitors. Christ Jesus has settled the matter. He was damned on the cross for you. The cry of the damned has won you freedom. And the question is, will you believe in this Christ? Will you believe in the one who suffered death, who suffered damnation for you, for your sins, for your iniquities? We were all traitors like Edmund, but yet Christ settled the matter. He was mocked. He was beaten. He was flogged. He was crucified. He was separated from his father. He was abandoned, forsaken for you so that you can be redeemed, so that you can be rescued by his Father. And the question is, will you believe? Will you trust in Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I praise you, Lord, that you have settled the matter, that you have endured the shame, that you, Lord, have satisfied your Father, and we have been justified because of Christ. Lord, we, endure, we deserve hell. We deserve hell. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. Because we have, we are traitors. We have been, we've rebelled against you, Lord, and yet your son stood in our place. He endured it all for us. He endured hell for us. The cross is a demonstration, Lord, of your judgment on sin, and Christ endured it for us. And Lord, you ask us to believe. You ask us to trust in that sacrifice. Lord, you ask us, Lord, to, as, your, as John 3.16 says, 
to believe. And through faith, through trust, we are rescued from condemnation. We are rescued from hell. Christ suffered for us. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that has never trusted in you, they've never put their faith in you, I'd ask, Lord, that you would move them, that your spirit would change their hearts to understand this great sacrifice for us. Lord, I pray that they would understand their sin, they would understand their uh, iniquities and transgressions against you, because you are a holy and good God, and we have rebelled against you, and therefore we deserve your eternal judgment, but Christ stood in our place for us. Lord, I pray that they would seek you, and that they would trust in you, that they would worship you. And as we continue to sing and worship you right now, Lord, I pray that those who have never worshipped you would worship you tonight. They would cry out to you, thank God, Lord, that, that your son was, was, that his wounds have healed me. Thank you, Lord, that your grace through Christ Jesus has saved me. Thank you, Lord, that Christ Jesus has saved me from the depths of hell and judgment and that I am free and redeemed because what if Christ has done for me, Lord, I pray that they would cry out. They would sing that. They would pray that. Lord, if they need anyone to pray with them, that they would come forward and, and seek that prayer. Lord, we praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.